Radio Show brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence, and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2.com. Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. Again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host for the next hour. In case this is the first time you're tuning into the Talent Talk radio show, we feature a wide range of guests who care about talent. And on this show, we talk about talent in really two ways. First, as it relates to success and uncovering the secrets of really talented people. And second, we also talk about talent in relation to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates today. Hopefully you see how that works. The word talent has a couple different meanings in the business world. And this show really looks to explore those two areas as well as impact and the talent, uh, talented individuals that are listening and, and hopefully influencing their own company culture. My guests typically include CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR executives, coaches, authors, just kind of everyone in the, in the realm of talent. And generally what happens is I'm out at networking events or industry conferences, and I would normally kind of go over and corner someone and then like ask them 100,000 questions until I learn their secrets. And I thought that was kind of really good for me, but not really great for everybody else. So I thought, let's have these people on the show. Let's ask them the questions here and everyone else can hear their answers and hopefully impact your own career in a positive way by hearing what they, what they think and how they approach the world. Before I get to my guests today, I want to thank those of you tuning in live. Don't forget you can submit your questions via Twitter right now. Just tweet them to at peopleg 2 Use the hashtag Talent Talk. My producer, Mike, will feed me the best questions, and we'll try to work them into the show. You can also send us guest suggestions or any other suggestions you might have. If you have a complaint, you can always send that by snail mail. So don't forget, you can listen to the show via our uh, podcast on iTunes, as well as subscribe to have that weekly show sent to you. As of this week, we have surpassed the 70,000 hit mark for our podcast feed, uh, those of you listening, and we really thank you uh, for participating and uh, enjoying the show and all the great feedback we get. So with all that said, finally had the business out of the way, let's get today's show started. My guests today include Marcy Glenn, she's a CEO of Another Source, and Mike McAlowitz, hopefully I'm saying that correctly, I've been having nightmares about it for three days, uh, founder of Profit First Professionals, he's also read, written quite a few books, uh, and was the uh, uh, one of the main uh, founders of the Rule Breakers Award. So Mike will be joining me the second half of the show. So let's get to my first guest, uh, Marcy Glenn. Marcy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So tell us about yourself and, of course, your company, Another Source. Well, I'm not sure which is more exciting. I guess we'll find out. Absolutely. We'll we'll absolutely. Well, let's start with Another Source. So Another Source is a second-generation uh, family-owned business. I mm-hmm. took over the company in the late 2006, and Another Source was founded in 1991. And we're a recruitment services firm. We service primarily the West Coast, um, both higher education markets on the staff side, and then small to medium-sized businesses in the areas of operations, finance, accounting, mm-hmm. human resources, and administrative functions. So is education really then a strong point, or is that the only point? Education, uh, for higher education market for us is fantastic because our model, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, is built to be a resource in building talent pools. Mm-hmm. And that's an area for higher education um, that they need that support in. So sure. focusing on staff side, and like all of us, we're facing um, a talent gap. 
Um, and so what a better way to serve than in higher education. And then, and then what, how about your story? How do we can, we'll see which one is better. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm a, I'm a Seattle native. I, um, thought I would be an accountant by training and quickly learned that recruiting was my calling. Um, I've, I fell in love with recruiting primarily uh, due to the opportunity to to really impact business, uh, to impact organizations, to be part of an organization's vision and efforts in achieving that. I'm married with two children, entering middle school, which has been a big change for us. Grew up playing tennis, so last, love the, the water. La- last few years of, of, the, of the fun, if you have them going into junior high, because pretty soon comes high school. I have two in high school right now, so enjoy your last few years of freedom. I mean fun. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I see where you're going uh-huh, with that, and yeah. yes, we're we're already wide, eyes wide open, uh-huh. mm-hmm. and and you know rolled as well. Right. <laughs> so I know you worked for another source back in ninety six, ninety seven, and then you returned in April of uh, two thousand, and so you've you've been there ever since. Kind of, I guess, maybe going through what two recessions then mm-hmm. uh, in there, which is is always tough. So you served there in many different roles, all the way up now to the that CEO role. So maybe you could talk a little bit about what it takes to move up through the ranks of an organization to really you know, get to the top. I think there's a couple of things that come to mind when you ask me that question. There's there's first that that internal motivation and, and drive that someone has that that a they want to be at the top, but there also has to be an organization that allows for that, an right. organization that recognizes the talent or recognizes that drive, and then can help mold it so that it can reach the goals. And and in my case, the the top was the goal. In other people's cases, it's not necessarily the top, but it's an organization still that recognizes that drive and, and, and need for wanting to grow. And do you think that that break was a part of that process in allowing you to ultimately achieve that that position? The break in terms of? As far as you being away from the company for a few years. I think so. You, you know, like most individuals that work in a family business, there comes a point where you have to see and learn that that what you're experiencing in your company is, A, common to other companies, right? right, and not just your family. But you also have to have your eyes opened in er- other areas in order to bring back to an environment um, that can help it grow. And so I, I think if I wouldn't have experienced the first part of my career after graduating from college, I think my, my view would be very limited mm-hmm. um, and my resources as well would be would be much narrower. Right. Well, there's a kind of very common practice in a lot of organizations, and I know it even comes from the military, where, you know, if you get promoted, that very often if you're promoted within your group, they will send you somewhere else. Partly so you get a different set of experiences and practice, you know, your new kind of capabilities with another group of people, but also because the group that you were just with may not respect your new suddenly given authority when just the day before you were just one of the guys and now all of a sudden you're their boss, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So uh, it's interesting with a lot of people who we have seen who have gone up and ended up high up in the ranks, there has been some sort of a break or some sort of a maybe going to a completely different division on the other side of the world or something where, you know, there was that time for reflection and a time for the internally of people to really accept you coming back and being Mm -hmm. the leader in the the organization. Is is that kind of, see see if I'm formulating that right for your situation? Absolutely. And I think that goes back to what we talked about earlier is the culture of the organization has to support that. It has to be something that, you know, for an employee group and a team group to accept that that new authority, it has to be bred into the culture of where that opportunity is taking us and, and being open to change. Right, right. So I know one of your goals when coming back to the company was uh, to become the kind of the notable best value in recruiting. Do, do you feel that you've achieved this, or or is there more work to be done? I think there's there's I think we're we're a good 
portion of the way there. I think, you know, working for my mom and, and seeing what she built, um, you know, there's a, a sentence that she said when we were in the midst of passing the baton. And, uh, you know, she said, I gave another source its feet and Marcy's going to give it, it their legs. And I'd say we've probably got one of those legs built and we're working on the second leg right now. Um, I think we've really honed in what value means. Um, and can apply that in different situations and to different styles of organizations. I think now it's really about more market presence and and having more companies and organizations take advantage of that value. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I wanted to make sure I asked you this question. We, we, you talked to a lot of people in recruiting, and I'm sure you must get this question from customer or potential customers all the time, but I'm really kind of asking it more in the sense of understanding your organization better. And what is it that you think makes your organization different or unique? I think what, what makes us different is we are a recruitment services firm, and we typically, are, our biggest competitors are a job board or a headhunter or, or traditional agency. So we fall in those, those similar buckets that are known to everyone. Uh, but our model is uh, different because it's time-based. We work on a specific time period. We work at a flat rate, and we we guarantee the quality of the candidate pool. We don't, don't take ownership or provide insurance on the hire. If someone wants to, to make an invitation to uh, get married to someone, that's their business. They get to handle that. Right, um, we're right. going to make sure that the time spent dating is worth their time. Mm-hmm. So you're working primarily then, like you said, on an hourly, they call it an RPO model. I forget what they call it. but Similar. Yeah, yeah. yeah similar. Um, we do get compared a lot to an RPO model, but because our engagement time periods are typically 30 days, um, it's not quite as far on the pendulum as an RPO. Are there particular positions, like let's use educate, higher education as an example, that are harder to fill than others? Yeah, I, def- I mean, definitely. And I think we're all experiencing a really unique market, talent market right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was describing to someone the other day, you know, you had a recession and, and a lot of people that were currently employed and during that time sat still. And then after they started to get a little confidence, they made a move. And now when there's a lot of employers hiring, people aren't ready to make another move quite mm-hmm. yet. So you're seeing a lot of opportunity for new positions being created and budgets being expanded, but you're not seeing a lot of new talent come into into that process. Right. So I think for us right now, our, our, our focus and, and how we're engaging and managing candidates is really on that mid-level, either very senior individual contributor or first-level manager, where there's a need for the, a particular skill set, but that person is still growing and, and ensuring that the company's goals align with the employee's goals. And that's really where we're focused right now. And it's interesting that you're really kind of articulating this very difficult job pool or interesting job pools, maybe as you put it. And, and a lot of the people that we've had on the show the last few months that are in education have talked about how typically higher education is the last to recover from a recession because it takes so long for the tax dollars to be kind of recovered from and for budgets to be changed. And, you know, finally, when everything's are going well, then yeah, that the mm-hmm. seem to be the first ones to get hit and the last ones to to kind of come back. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm wondering if now we're finally starting to see. Okay, we're going to add more classes. We need to have more professors. We need to have more support staff. We need to have, you know, these more people involved at, at the at that level. If you're starting to really see that much of a, a ramp up, uh, or is it just sort of kind of going up as you would expect? But the actually qualified people out there are, are really aren't there. 
Well, I think one of the things you use the word interesting, I think that's a great descriptor of, of the, <laughs> the talent right now. I think some days it would, could be unique. Some days it's interesting with a, yeah. you know, a smirk. But I think one of the things that is facing most employers that we haven't faced at this magnitude is um, the baby boomers retiring and, right. and what that causes to not only organizations that are ramping up, but organizations that are being impacted by that. You know, you also have through a recession, people, some people changed the way they lived and maybe went from a two income household to a one income household. And and now that they've been able to maintain their lifestyle, they're going to keep it that way. So you have a lot of factors coming into this particular talent market that I don't think, I know I haven't seen in 16 years of recruiting um, that makes it interesting. Right. Um, and challenging. So I, I, to answer your question, I think it's a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're faced with some market factors that are all converging at one time. Yeah, and I think the baby boomer uh, phenomenon here of them retiring and, and disappearing from the workforce uh, is really an important one that I don't think people are really talking about. And, Agreed. Yeah, and it's there's so much knowledge and there's so much kind of this unique stuff that they're doing in an organization that they're taking out with them that maybe aren't being left behind and aren't being put into somebody else through mentoring or documenting or whatever. Oh, yeah, start a whole, sh- a whole show, you know, about mm-hmm. baby boomers and what mm-hmm. they know and the rest of us should need to find out, you know. But it's a really, really big problem that I, I don't hear a lot of people talking about. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's impacting, if I think of maybe our, you know, four or five core industries that we work in, um, you know, I've heard from the leadership in each of those industries that, you know, they're in, in the double digits in terms of how it's going to impact over the next five years, their organization. And, you know, add that to a, a shortage of workforce and a skill gap that's occurring mm-hmm. in technology. And you have factors that we just haven't dealt with before. Yeah, skills gap. And there isn't a whole lot extra going in to really get people educated and up, up to speed and par to fill in those positions at, at the same time when the mm-hmm. other people would be going, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, yeah, it, it's a it's a interesting problem, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in order to be the best, you, you really need to have the best talent surrounding you and and what you want really is kind of the best recruiters working with your clients to help find the best people for their needs. So what do you do and, and, and your team do to really attract the best recruiting talent available? I think, you know, we try and do what we advise our hiring managers to do in the situation of their teams, which is listen. You know, what is the market telling us? What are our current employees telling us? And what? how do we align with that? How, how can we offer back to those A players and in order to attract and retain them? Um, and I think it's not just attracting them, but it's just as important to be able to retain and engage through that process. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as we were talking briefly before the show, that's about adapting and being willing to change. Right. It, it's, it's not going to stay exactly the same and expect that they're going to be happy. Right. So it sounds like change might be a part of your organization. Uh, we certainly, in our conversation just prior to the show, talked about technology maybe being a little bit part of your company and certainly that you have a lot of virtual staff much like we do so maybe you could take all those different pieces and really help us understand a little bit better what you know what what does the culture look like inside you know another source you know i i um when i started working for another source the mission and and the values of another source were, were something that was very much ingrained into me and something that i saw my mom lead with on a daily basis and and those values are are really descriptors that i would use to describe our organization's culture and I think any if you talk to any of our customers or you, you reached out to any of our partners or our employees, 
you know, within a short list, the same values would come up. And that is, you know, we live by the golden rule. We treat others as we want to be treated. And, and sometimes those are difficult conversations. And sometimes those are really motivating conversations. Right. Um, it's, you know, accountability um, and being willing to make the tough decisions and push each other. We want to have fun. We, we do want to make money and grow the company and help more people. But we want to have fun while we do it. Um, and we balance life's priorities. And those priorities are different for everyone. And you have to have an organization that is willing to recognize that there's differences and priorities. All right. So it sounds like a lot of kind of personal accountability, both in how you, you deal with your employees, how you expect them to deal with you and with your uh, clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds like a lot, you know, so they really have to be given a lot of freedom and a lot of uh, empowerment to be able to make that happen at the same time, right? Absolutely. And I, I think that, you know, you mentioned empowerment and in any business that's trying to grow and, and any small business, learning what that empowerment looks like is a constant evolution and a challenge based on, you know, the team. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned your mom sort of setting that tone but early on, but how do you think it's maybe changed over time? Uh, now that you're maybe maybe how has it changed or maybe how have you put your own stamp on it then sure you know one of the first exercises that I went through when when we passed the baton and and the leadership changed and and my mom retired was you know review of the mission statement was this the mission statement and there was really two changes very very small changes that I made to that mission that reflected me I I think other changes you know we moved our office space we moved Mm -hmm. to a a location that um, felt a little bit more maybe eclectic and a little more raw um, which was similar to to the style that I wanted to have and we went virtual Um, and we went virtual I, I think out of necessity during the recession and you know how do we attract really great people but give them flexibility so you know that changes the culture significantly as well right right absolutely you know I'm wondering how how important you think then the ultimate alignment of that culture is you have people that are in different spots you have them all doing their work and very often recruiters can be very motivated by this process of get them in fill them and make their money and you know so you you can have kind of people off in silos maybe a little bit differently than you can with other positions Mm -hmm. um which isn't necessarily a good thing but it can happen so i'm wondering how how much of that alignment you think is important for you to be successful and then maybe ultimately to reach all of your goals? You know, our in our world, in our process, uh, everyone touches what, uh, an engagement at least once, but multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, so the wheel, in order to make the wheel turn, the whole team is turning it. So, you know, if, if we're a week on one of those wheels and that alignment is off for, uh, you know, whatever reason that is, you know, we hobble along. I think for our culture, our business model supports the ability to turn that wheel in alignment based on how we're structured and, and not allowing those silos to occur. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're not we're not rewarded on a compensation based on a, a placement. The way that we, from the way that we engage with our clients to the way that the staff is compensated to the way we communicate. Right. So I, I'm wondering if you have any challenges then in. Uh, because you're running the company and it does have a family feel, this is something that we, you know, we, we have some um, similarities in. Do you ever find it difficult to ultimately really develop uh, additional leaders in your organizations without necessarily hiring them in? I mean, to, but you have people in your organization that may not necessarily feel like they're leaders, and you have to try to develop that and help them really see that they can be. I mean, is that a, a process that you struggle with or you have something in place to deal with? I think I, I think 
I struggle with that. I think we and I personally struggle with that, but not from a standpoint of it being a family organization. I think we struggle with it being a small business. Right. Um, and knowing what that balance is in terms of the number of leaders um, mm-hmm. and knowing where we need the leadership and, and where I need to be balanced. Um, so I think we, we, we struggle with that from a small business standpoint versus a family right. business. Right. Well, um, I mentioned to you that uh, that book, uh, Turn That Ship Around, I definitely suggest that to anybody. I'm reading it now for our Orange County HR book club that we, we host once a month. And it's, it, we just finished it. It was a really, really good book. You may find some great suggestions or things there to think about within your organization. I know I've already got like a list of 10 things I'm going to be putting in. Uh, my entire staff is probably groaning right now. But <laughs> but I'm wondering what book you might be reading that we might uh, think about picking up the next time we're, we're going to get inspired. Well, I have, you know, I have. Just as I said, one of our values is to be trustworthy and accountable, so I have to be 100% accountable. The book that I'm reading right now is The Fault in Our Stars. All right. Um, That's okay. And I'm reading it now because my, you know, middle school daughter wanted to read it. And as all parents know, there's a a proofreading or a pre-reading that needs to go into it. So, um, you know, that's my life. So I'm I'm reading The Fault in Our Stars right now. We have had the gamut of of books uh, suggested. So everything from religious books to uh, biographies and uh, it's... It's a question we love asking because we get such great mm-hmm. answers. We've had green, egg, green eggs and ham because someone yep. had a toddler, you know, a little mm-hmm. one. So that's great. Is there any particular book that you have read maybe in the past in the realm of HR and business that maybe really left an impression on you that you would suggest to somebody else to read? Again, being, you know, very transparent, the book that you'll find on my desk that was given to me uh, by my mom that still sits there and I think is applicable to all HR and talent pools is, oh, the places you'll go. Yeah. Yeah, we've had that one, too. That's a, mm-hmm. It seems like a big one that... Uh, you know, if I could create a bumper sticker that said, stop and read a children's book, I would, and then I would give them <laughs> that book. I think uh, we might be a happier society. Well, we will have those books listed on our... Uh, we do a little blog recap in a few weeks uh, of the show, and all the great things that you told us, we'll, we'll list there, and we'll certainly list the, the, the books in case anyone wants to check them out. Well, I'm pretty sure they've heard of those, too, and may even have at least one or if not more of them at home, so... Well, great. Well, we really appreciate uh, you being on the show. We've really enjoyed learning more uh, about Another Source, and we look forward to maybe having you come back and visit us and and let us know how you're doing. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm glad we could have you in from all the way from Seattle. So I know you flew in just for the show. I absolutely, and I brought the sunshine for you. That's right. We've had plenty. It was 105 where I live the other day, which is obscene for October. So, And uh, if you can uh, also let us know how can people learn more about your company company and reach out if they are interested. So um, they can uh, reach out. Um, we have an office down in San Diego, and, and Taylor Rickens is our best point of contact, and you can find her contact information on our website at anothersource.com. Anothersource.com. Okay, great. Well, Marcy, again, thank you very much for being on the Talent Talk radio show. Excellent. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. We'll have uh, Mike Michalowicz is coming up after this quick commercial break. <laughs> There's something positive about the word up. When things are looking good, they're looking up. When someone's down, you cheer them up. So how do you move up? Well, when it comes to getting your bachelor's or master's degree, there's one university that stacks up, Brandman University. Brandman is ranked by U.S. News and World Report as one of the nation's top ten universities for online bachelor's programs. Brandman's online graduate programs in business and education also receive top honors. So look us up at brandman.edu. Brandman University. Move up. 
Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Welcome back to the Town Talk Radio Show. Just a quick reminder, you can subscribe to the podcast and join the other 70,000 of you that uh, are uh, tuning in to listen. Uh, and you can do that by visiting either octalkradio.net and clicking on the Shows tab, or you can visit talenttalkradio.com. Uh, we've amassed a huge following in just over the year's time that we've been doing the show. We really appreciate you all uh, tuning in to, to listen, whether it's live or on the podcast later on. My next guest is Michael, Mike Michalowicz, founder of Profit First Professionals and also a uh, multi-time author. We'll, we'll get to those books in a minute. Don't forget you can tweet your questions live for him right now by sending them to at peopleg 2 and using the hashtag TalentTalk. So, Mike, welcome to the show. Chris, thanks for having me. So, uh, for those of, of us that don't know, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, of course, talk about your company, Profit First Professionals. Sure, sure. So I'm a, uh, maybe the term's a former entrepreneur. Uh, I was very fortunate. I grew some companies, but also uh, after selling those, became an investor and lost lots of money. So I, I know both sides, unfortunately, all too well. And uh, that sparked my interest in understanding the mastery of money. I, I always thought profit was an event and have come to realize that profit's really a habit, something that we bake into our business and into our lives. So uh, Profit First Professionals, uh, along with my books, uh, is my most current venture. And what Profit First Professionals does is we, we certify accountants and bookkeepers throughout the country, actually throughout the globe now, that can help not just do the books, but can help drive profits in business of any size. Well, that, that, that's great. I didn't uh, I didn't even know you were doing that that component of it. I cause my exposure to you has been through other channels, and uh, it sounds like a uh, sure. fascinating uh uh, endeavor. It's not something you would. It doesn't seem something that's as intuitive as maybe as it should be. Yeah, yeah. You know, one thing that kind of opened my eyes to it is uh, I was invited to do my first speech about Profit First. I mean, it's a relatively new book. I only released it um, about three months ago, and I went to this event. It was it was seven hundred people. So it was a, a large audience. At least for me, that's a pretty sizable audience. And it was all entrepreneurs. And I asked people, I said, you know, who here has an accountant? Because I've explained what the profit-first process is and how to make you know, any business more profitable by doing a couple of things. 
And so everyone during this speech, everyone raises their hands. Of course, everyone has a, an accountant that they use or a bookkeeper. And then I said, well, just show by a show of hands who's, whose accountant manages your books or helps you with your taxes. And you know, no surprise, everyone raised their hands. My next question, though, was the eye-opener. I said, okay, raise your hands if your accountant helps you drive profitability Look, that, that in your business. And, Chris, I'm going to tell you, literally crickets. I mean, not a single hand. And I oh, my God. You know, of an the whole reason we, we have an account is so that we can get cash flow into our business, that we can go our profits. Yeah, they're not doing that, and that was an eye-opener for me. It's like, oh, i got to start a business that helps accountants keepers do this. You're still an entrepreneur, because if you're seeing a need and you're going and attacking it, it makes you an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, it's not my full-time endeavor. I, I partnered with a colleague who runs that full-time. My uh, my primary job, I guess, is, is out there speaking about Profit First and writing books and, and doing that type of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I know you're also the CEO of uh, Providence. Is that how you say it? Yeah, Provendus. Provendus, excuse me. See, I, if I didn't screw up a name at least once on the show every week, then I haven't done my job. <laughs> that wouldn't be an official show. That's right. Uh, and also, you're the founder and president of Obsidian Launch, is that correct? Obsidian? Yep. Okay, yep. good. Obsidian Launch is an investment oh, yeah. group I have. You, you know, one thing that's interesting is once you become an author and uh, with your books start to circulate, businesses start approaching you. And uh, I get approached uh, pretty often, and sometimes an opportunity is almost too good to pass up. So, uh, I use Obsidian for those ventures. I, I sit on the board of a company. I'm a co-owner and a manufacturer. But you know, those endeavors, I, I leverage what I'm currently doing. I don't, I don't stretch my. I try not to stretch myself thin, um, and I don't try to insert myself where I'm not bringing value. I just try to kind of leverage all the momentum I currently have doing what I'm doing. Right, right, of course. Well, maybe let's kind of focus back on that. Uh, the profit first professionals and. I know you help really. We talked about those entrepreneurs really driving that pro- profitability in their businesses. Can you can you talk a, maybe a little bit about what's behind the message that you provide them and how they can do this? I mean, obviously, it makes yeah, sense they should yeah, be doing it, but you know, what, 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 how how can they do this? So there's an established formula that's been circulating forever. Every single business uses it. Um, it's mandated by the SEC, and the formula is called GAP, stands for Generally Accepted Accounting Principles. Uh, and while not everyone recognizes GAP, everyone knows the formula, it's this. Profit is a result of sales minus expenses. So sales, subtract your expenses, and the leftover is profit. But here's what's wrong with that formula. I consider it the Frankenstein formula. It's, uh, it's, it's fundamentally flawed in that while it makes logical sense, of course, take away your expenses from sales and you'll get profit, it doesn't match the behavior of entrepreneurs. It actually builds, you know, often cash-eating monsters, hence why I call it the Frankenstein formula. Most business owners, there's 28 million small business owners in the U.S. That's defined by the SBA as companies of $25 million or revenue or less. 28 million businesses. 21 of them are surviving check by check, meaning if they don't have enough money come in this month, they're out of business. That you know, They're struggling to pay payroll in two weeks or next week or today. There's a constant struggle. And what the Frankenstein, the gap formula teaches us, is just sell more, sell more. But what happens as we sell more, our expenses typically climb at the exact same rate. Conversely, when sales slow down, our expenses do not decrease at the same rate. So therefore, profitability only happens when there's big 
bursts of activity, big client comes in, mm-hmm. um, big opportunity for momentarily, but then our, our expenses climb to meet the deliverables. But then when there's a slowdown in activity, less customers, the expenses don't get cut. Those employees, you have to stay on board. They're just sitting there idle, but you're still paying them. So then there's a, a negative gap, and we start losing money very quickly. Well, once I realized, and by the way, that's how I ran my businesses too, sell as much as I can, grow, 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 grow to profitability, but profitability never came, I realized uh, there had to be a different approach for me. And, and the formula of profit first is simply this, sales minus profit equals expenses. You know what I mean that? What I mean by that is sell as much as you can as you always do. But as that money comes in, instead of paying bills and so forth, the first thing you do is take your profit, a predetermined percentage. Take that profit, reserve it away, hide it away from yourself. Then the remainder is for expenses. And while logically this is actually, you know, the money's the money's the money, it makes no difference. Behaviorally, this is a fundamental change. Because when we as entrepreneurs take money and reserve our profits, tuck them away first, we then have a compressor, less money available for expenses, our behavior changes. And we find ways to get the same things done with this smaller amount of money. We become innovative. So that's how profit first works. And, and what would you suggest then for people who have a, maybe the, the profit isn't so constant? I know in my business, if I look at it on a transaction, transaction basis, it's, it's wildly different based on where we're doing the work and how we're doing the work and when we're doing the work, and um, there can be a variance. So do you have so – I mean, you just kind of look at an, an average and try to tuck that away, or does it need to be more granular than that? Yeah, well, there's a couple ways. I um, And it's available for download if, if you want to get it. I, I studied healthy companies throughout – uh, the country of all different size. So there's predetermined healthy percentages. Hmm. Uh, I have it on MikeMcCallowitz.com, my website. But basically, a company that's doing under a million dollars in revenue typically will run upwards of a 10% profit. In addition, paying the owners upwards of 20 to even 30% of the total top-line revenue going to the owners. So if you think about a, a $1 million company, that means 20% would be 200000 going to the owners plus another 100000 10%. Coming in profits, which sounds like a lot, at least for me, it sounds like a lot at first blush. But these are the healthiest of companies. If your company isn't there yet, you can step into it. So you look just like you were suggesting at your historical average. So maybe your historical average is 5%. Maybe it's sometimes big profits because there's big projects and then there's a quiet period. You look at your last year in review, so look at your last 12 months, and then figure out what your percentage was historically. Then Start adjusting toward what the healthiest companies have do. So, so maybe you were paying yourself, say, ten percent of the top line. Maybe you're taking profits of zero, you know, no profit whatsoever. Well, on this quarter, starting now, add one percent to each category. Take one percent in profit. Take eleven percent in your owner's pay. Then next quarter, we adjust up twelve percent in owner's pay and two percent in profit. And every quarter, by ratcheting up, it puts more and more downward pressure subtly, but over time, more and more pressure on your operating expenses and it forces us to behave differently, to spend less. Well, it certainly is fascinating, and I know you've had some uh, – this is certainly taking off and having a lot of success, and as have your, your other concepts and books. Uh, I know you did Profit, Profit First. You had the Pumpkin Plan, the Pillow Paper Entrepreneur. Which one of these was your your favorite to write, and which one of them do you think is also then the most powerful for entrepreneurs and business owners to read? 
you know, probably my favorite to write is the least popular one, which is kind of funny, but was the pumpkin plan. When I read that story, like uh, the the book to my back to myself, and this isn't like a self-effacing, like I read my own books, but as I write a book, I, you know, I read it over and over to see if I get to the flow. So I, I read my own books like a hundred times before it ever comes out. Mm-hmm. And pumpkin plan is just most representative of my tone. And, and truly, just if you and I were at a bar, Chris, just kind of talking about business, the pumpkin plan is how I would be talking. Right. And, and I'm very proud about the kind of the message it gets across. In that book, I studied pumpkin farmers, found this faction, these colossal pumpkin farmers, studied their methodology to grow colossal pumpkins, and then found it runs in parallel to what people need to do to grow a colossal business. But the one that had most effect, and I'm, I'm very proud of this book, just a little more formal than I typically write, but Profit First is hands down the most successful book I've had by far. It's uh, it's selling at a rate of three to four times the volume of my other two books combined, and, and they were both doing well. So it's just resonating with people. I'm also proud of that book that it's a very easy read. I, I'm, I'm not an accountant. I don't like accounting talk. You're, you're not going to read about you know metrics and cash flow statements and tiebacks and all these different fancy schmancy terms. Profit First gets the point across a little bit, and, uh, and I hope as you read it, too, you get some laughs. I, I like to joke around a little bit and, and make light of some serious stuff, so hopefully it's a fun read. Do, do you think it's the simplicity? Do you think it's the topic? Or do you think there's some other reason why it, it, it's kind of outpacing the other books? I, it, it's so simple. Like, literally, we just discussed the concept. Like, you, you know it now, and there's there's nuances to it. And in the book, I go in depth in the details. But when I tell people to flip the formula, it, it clicks with folks. It, it's nothing I invented. Like, this is not something brand new. It's pay yourself first. It, it's a mentality we've been told in our personal finances. The new component is it's never been applied to business, that we should operate our businesses this way. So I think when people hear it, Chris, they say, oh, yeah, yeah, I already heard this. I, it makes sense because I've been told to do this in my personal life. I never thought about applying it in my business. And it's something that they can implement literally starting today, immediately. I think that's why it's been so successful. So with, with all that you're doing, and I know you've had, you said, you know, some, some companies along the way, and you certainly have uh, a lot going on now with this, th- these other ventures and books. So assuming that you, you've had to have some people help you along the way and hire a few folks, and, and I'm wondering if you have any suggestions on what, you, what, 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 what what's a good hire look like for you? What are the things that you're looking for uh, when you need to bring somebody on board? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I have a few, quite a few employees actually now. But my core business, I have two colleagues I work with, and my other business, uh, I have some other employees. But uh, I think what it is is, and it took me a while to figure this one out, is to hire people that are not like me. Um, it's been my propensity in the past to find people that are similar to me, and then I naturally like them more. You have similar backgrounds, similar styles, similar things. I was saying that you know people like people like them. We like people that are similar to us. But what I found is having more me's does not push the business forward. We already have a me, and having more of me is actually not a benefit. It's actually a detriment. There's there's things I'm pretty marginal at or, or absolutely and horribly poor at. Mm-hmm. I'm not a detail-oriented person. Uh, if i got to read through a contract that's more than two pages long, my eyes, I think they literally start bleeding. <laughs> so I seek out people in different capacities that have skill sets that I, I envy and don't have. I'm a very detail-oriented person. Um, she doesn't miss a beat with anything. Um, I have another guy 
who uh, Ron, who is just a, an extremely good communicator. He can, you know, it's funny. People say I can sell, you know, someone that can sell ice to Eskimos is impressive. Ron would never do that. He sells ice to Africans, right? Like he doesn't just he isn't just persuasive. He actually sells something to people who actually need it. Like Eskimos right. don't need ice. Right. People in a hot climate need ice. So he takes. He's a good salesman with with an amazing understanding of who needs it and, and finds the match. So I, I look for people that are are skilled in a completely different way than I am. Often skills that I envy and wish I could aspire to have, but no, I probably never will. Right. Well, it sounds like you're you're, you're getting people in there that have that are really talented. So that, that kind of brings up the secondary question of is well, how do you find those really talented people? I mean, there's, there's a lot of people out there who who are different than us that want a job, but to find that one that's got that talent that's really going to drive your business forward is is a very unique thing. Uh, yeah. any, any suggestions there? Totally. I, I think I have two ways, uh, two ways to go about it. One is if you don't know anyone, if you don't have a kind of a recruiting pool, and I'll talk about that in a second, but if you don't have a recruiting pool but you need a great quality person immediately, here's the little trick I use. It's it's worked miracles for me ever since I started applying this. I did this with one of my companies a while back. I would run an advertisement. Back then it was in Monster.com. Nowadays it's like you know Craigslist or something online. As, or much.com and I'd post a very long ad most ads are really short I'd post a very long detailed ad explaining the entire position but here's the trick at the near the bottom in the last couple paragraphs I would say if you were in fact reading this article or this advertisement in its entirety when you respond to it I ask that you put uh, these words in the title of your email response like something like I'm a meticulous reader or something specific that they have to write Mm-hmm. Now, here's what's great about that. All the generic responses I get from people that didn't read the ad in its entirety or just kind of auto-responding don't include that in their email subject line. Those folks that did read the entire article and are sincerely applying because they read everything include it in their subject line. So I was able to filter out. In some cases, I get 100 responses to an ad. To go through 100 resumes, it's difficult. But now those 100 responses I get Maybe five or six have the keyword I specified. And now I know here's the five or six people that are sincerely interested. So that was a great way to filter out and get quality detailers to people quickly. The, the second step I do with them, too, is in many cases I ask, I always do it now, ask people for a video response or a video cover letter. And what this is a great thing is to gauge people's professionalism and their energy and the way they dress and their attire and you know, all those components. On video, I found that you know in a video you can choose as many times as you want. I find some people comply and do a video, and it's a it's a crappy video. They they shoot it once, they mispronounce my name, you know, and and they don't send it. Other people, it's clearly they, they research out how to pronounce my name. They, they know what they're talking about. They're professional, and all this stuff has happened even before the first interview. So it gets it calls down really high quality candidates really fast. Well, I think that first suggestion you gave yep. is is fantastic. I, I really like that. I wouldn't have the uh, patience to write that long one, but I could get somebody else to, <laughs> to write out that long amount of details. But um, it's a great suggestion, and I'm, I was really happy to hear the second part of the video because I, we really moved to video uh, interviews, almost video only. Uh, in many cases, oh, there you go. And and that's because it's kind of what you're saying it. What they wear and where they chose to have that that video conference and what's in the background, 
um, and what isn't in the background is really tells me a lot about that person. Um, yes. More than their resume, more than you know where where they live or what all these other things that we can so easily grab onto that are really not good indicators. But I've had people with you know like their trash was overflowing in the kitchen and you could see that right behind them or hey, you know stuffed you- animals on the wall and like it's like really you're, you know <laughs> it's, it's just you know it's just like you could have picked anywhere and this is where you picked to have the interview I mean you know just. And like you said, those certain details and certain things that they could have known about the company or about you or what have you. And, uh, I, you know, we did just a couple of maybe similar tricks with, you know, in the thing, please send me, please click on this link to set up your interview time. I can't imagine how many times people would send me an interview. Please let me know when I can interview with you. And it's like, well, in the text oh, it yeah, said, done. yeah, click the link done. and you could have just scheduled yeah. it. So, yeah, I mean, it's amazing some of those things. But that can get you people who are detail-oriented, but that isn't always what you need either. I guess it does it depend isn't. on the job. It isn't. And, you know, one little last tip is how I got Ron. I was talking about him earlier. I've been recruiting Ron literally for 15 years. <laughs> and I think that's kind of lesson two is start a recruiting pool. You know, as entrepreneurs, as business owners, over time, uh, you will run into amazing people. It could be your waiter or waitress at a restaurant. Uh, it could be when you're visiting a, another business and you meet someone that's just phenomenal. It could be the person that gives you customer service at the vendor of yours. Well, I, I have a list of these folks that have just impressed me, and, and I would be flattered to be working with them, and, and Ron was one of them. Well, I reached out to him 15 years ago. Uh, he, he was in sales and said, hey, I'm, I'm doing this my business. would love to have you on board. He said, I really don't know you from Adam, not a fit, but thank you. But that's not, that's not when I give up. I, that's just the start. Four, five or six years later, I actually sold that business I was in, and I called him and said, hey, I, I don't know if you remember me, but I sold this business and uh, invited you to come on board. In the beginning, I'm thinking about starting another business, and I've been so impressed with your career. love to speak with you again. Well, sure enough, that, that instigated an interview. We sat down and talked. He decided no. And uh, that company uh, I built uh, and sold and uh, approached him now another uh, eight or nine years later and uh, sat down with him and said, hey, I sold that company, too. I'm starting a new one. And he said, you know what? Don't say another word. Uh, I've missed out on two opportunities with you. <laughs> I'm coming on board. And some people hear that and say, 15 years? That's ridiculous. Right. It doesn't mean I sat still and didn't work with other people. And that doesn't mean there wasn't other phenomenal people. I just knew that if I can get Ron on board, he's one of a, a few folks I just think the world of. And uh, I'm going to not ever stop recruiting him or others. And that that's you know a little tip you got to be in there persistently forever always recruiting right always have that talent pool yeah, absolutely well one of our favorite questions to ask our guests and hopefully you're going to have a great answer uh is uh is there a book you're reading right now that you might share with us uh, other than uh, obviously your own books uh that that, that <laughs> well, pe- yeah i'm not reading them right now right, right. Um, well, yeah let me go to my uh, here let me backpack here it is oh yeah of course, I'm, not gonna I'm reading Contagious right now. Ah, okay. um, the reason I go to my backpack is every time I'm on a plane, I I try to dig into a book. You know, to read an average book takes me about eight to twelve hours. So usually, if I'm flying coast to coast, it's like two or three flights. Um, and uh, so Contagious, what I'm reading now, it's a fascinating study on what makes people talk about things. Mm-hmm. It's kind of in the vein that there's a book called Made to Stick by Dan and Ch- uh, Chip Heath. 
This book is by a guy named Jonah Berger Contagious, and it kind of builds on more than just theory like Made a Stick has and gives you really practical strategies on making things go viral. Yeah, well, that, that sounds very interesting because I know a lot of our listeners are CEOs and uh, business leaders looking to, uh, for that kind of help. And uh, as a reminder, we will be having a uh, recap of this uh, entire show, and we'll put Mike's, uh, we'll put his book suggestions on there, and we'll also list his books as well for anyone who wants to check those out uh, and, and pick them up and uh, hear more about uh, Profit First or The Pumpkin Plan or The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur. So, uh, Mike, we really appreciate you being on the show. I know I got a chance to meet you once up in New York at the uh, Rule Breakers yeah. Award, which was yep. uh, a lot of fun. And uh, hopefully you guys are going to be uh, doing that again uh, next year. Uh, it was certainly a, a well-put-on event, and uh, it was really enjoyable. Yeah, thanks for attending Rule Breakers. That was the uh, the first of an annual event, and 2015 just got booked. It looks like it's going to be happening in uh, Las Vegas this next time so uh, i'll keep you posted yeah i'm not sure what i've done this year to be a rule breaker but i'll try to think of something so <laughs> i'm sure you'll find a way Chris. i'm sure i'll find a way something i mean i i remember your uh kind of little story i know we have just a 30 more seconds here of kind of taking your books and, and throwing them into the traditional bookstores which would be a little harder now but to kind of get uh you know, the sales going and, and get interest and then having them call you and saying oh we, we've run out of your book can you send us more when I guess originally you, they had never stocked them. You had been stocking their shelves with your books. Is that essentially yeah, the story? Yeah, it was with Barnes & Noble specifically. When I wrote my first book, they kind of laughed at me and said, we don't take guys like you. You're self-published. Right. And so I said, okay, it's time to break a rule. And I had myself myself and my friends went to all different Barnes & Nobles throughout New Jersey, New York, the areas I, li- I live in, and um, stacked them on the shelves. And sure enough, enough people tried to buy a book that Barnes & Noble didn't carry that Barnes & Noble's called me and said, we don't know how this is happening, but your book is selling, and we don't own it. We need 3,000 copies. And they <laughs> they stacked every shelf of every Barnes & Noble's nationally. That's awesome. Right after that. That's awesome. <laughs> Break the rules. Yeah. Well, I, that's one of my favorite stories. I, I've told it to, to, to people many, many times when kind of – you know, trying to talk about how, how do you do something different? How do you, you know, kind of go against the grain? And it's a great story. So, uh, but Mike, thanks so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it. Hopefully, we can have you come back and let us know about your next book or adventure or whatever it is you're doing. You're a fascinating guy, and we'd love to, to follow your story as it goes. That would be wonderful. I'd love to come back. Thanks so much for doing this, Chris. Okay. That's about all the time we have for today's show. Thank you again to my guests, Marcy Glenn and Mike McAllowitz. Uh Hopefully I've made it all the way through the show of saying his last name correctly, uh, and, and I won't get a nasty gram from anybody. Tune in next week, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, to hear David Schaefer. He's a business advisor and management consultant at uh, Conley Moss and the and an HR executive uh, with many years of experience uh, as an HR leader. So uh, so we have David Schaefer and Connolly Moss uh, on the show next week. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2.